are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So in Simon Peter's first epistle, he writes to Christians who are facing persecution. And he only deals with essentials. You and I know that when you're in crisis, you deal with essentials. And so he talks about many relationships throughout the letter. And today in the passage, he is talking about our relationship in, in, in marriage and, and what it means to live as a Christian in the context of marriage. So I've just got to tell you that um, over the years, I have struggled to preach on weekends about marriage. And so here's why. You may be sitting in the room or you may be at home watching online and you say, Rick, Uh, I want to go to the Word with you today, but um, I'm single, and you're spending the whole time talking about marriage. So here's what I want to say to you. If if you ever think that maybe there might be a possibility that you would one day be interested in marriage, it's really good to have this conversation now. Also, I would say to you if you're single that the principles that we will talk about today apply to many relationships in life. And so you can take what we're saying and apply them to other relationships in many situations. The second reason that I've struggled to preach about marriage is because I've always felt like I would need to be really good at marriage before I offered other people instruction about marriage. And I've never felt that I was good enough at marriage. Now, you may be here today saying, uh, you know, well, Rick, I think I'm really good at marriage. Your spouse may have a different opinion, but it may be that you really are good at marriage. But I think what I've come to understand is that every week I preach from the Scripture, and, uh, and I don't think there's anything that should hinder me to say to you today, uh, this is what God says to us through Simon Peter about marriage. And so that's what I will attempt to do. I feel like the guy who uh, said, would you please pray for my wife? She's not sick. She's just married to me. And so I think many of us come to the conversation with that spirit and that attitude, not really feeling like maybe I'm qualified to give instruction on a particular issue. So we'll start with this. So with Simon Peter, you can probably just imagine the question that we're going to answer today. And here's what it is. What does it uh, look like for me as a Christian um, waiting on the screen? And obviously something's going on, but what does it mean to live this Christian life in the context of marriage. What does that, what does that mean? Um, what does it mean to live the Christian life in the context of marriage? This is what we're going to spend all of our time today talking about. So why don't you do this? Why don't you grab your Bible or your phone and go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. So here we go. Here's what Simon Peter does. Here's where he takes us. Uh, In fact, if you are a husband today, why don't you read these first few words with me and maybe just kind of turn towards your wife and and read them to her. Would you like to do that with me? Here we go, guys. In unison, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. That was pretty weak. There wasn't a lot of backbone in those words. Um, Didn't sense a lot of bravery there, okay? I'll, I'll read by myself from this point. So that if any of them... Do not believe. So think of the context here, okay? So if you have a husband, wives, you're a Christian, but you have a husband who does not believe, 
He's not saying if you don't think your husband is a Christian, but it's if he's really not a Christian, okay? Um, if any of you do not believe the word, uh, they may be won over without words. Wow. L- l- look at that. They may be won over without your actual words. But by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your life. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. However, some of your beauty should come from outward adornment. That's just my uh, commentary there, okay? He's not saying it's bad. He's saying that external beauty is secondary to internal virtue. You like that? Um, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, and this is what he's saying, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty, and all of us know about fading beauty, am I correct? The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves, meaning with inner beauty. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. I've been married for 34 years almost, and Annette has never one time called me her Lord. And I don't think she probably ever will, even lowercase l, call me her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, the next slide addresses husbands. You notice we had seven slides that gave instruction to wives in marriage. We only have two slides for instruction to husbands. The only conclusion that I can come to is that husbands just need less instruction when it comes to marriage, probably. So husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. I've not consulted any commentary or any linguist expert that said anything other than the fact that this is physical weakness, simply that the human male body is built differently than the human female body. It's not about emotional weakness or intellectual weakness. It's simply about the fact that we are created differently physically in our frames. So as the weaker and as heirs, however, with you, this is a great statement of equality, heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And here's why, husbands, you should live this way, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So if you're a husband and you're here and you're saying, I don't know, I don't think I'm doing good in my walk with God. So what's hindering you? Could it be the way you treat your wife is a direct reflection of the struggle that you sometimes find yourself in your relationship with God? So we'll talk about that in a minute. You know, I had this couple who were attending a church that I was pastoring years ago and they wanted to be married. This was both of them, their second marriage. And they had only been married for a few weeks. And I get a phone call and he says, hate to bother you, but we're in a, in a mess over here. And, and I wish there was some way in the next day or two you could come over and talk to us. And so I did. I got over to their house. I walk in the door. He greets me at the door, takes me into the living room. She's sitting on the couch. She's kind to me. She speaks. But pretty much she is got a pretty um, firm stare or glare into the carpet. You know, it is a cold room, if you know what I mean. And so I said, well, why don't we pray together? And so we prayed, and after we prayed, I said, how can I help you? 
And they were kind of quiet, and he says, do you want me to go first? And she doesn't say anything. She's still pretty focused on the carpet. And he says to me, she will not, pointing her finger like that to her, she will not submit. I know, that's what I felt. And so I awkwardly said, well, t- talk to me a little more. What, what, what's happening here? And, and he said, well, I, I come home from work and I say to her, uh, woman, get in that kitchen and fix me some supper. At that point, she was very willing to enter the conversation <laughs> and said, um, and that's when I say to him, if you're going to talk to me that way, you can fix your own supper. What? Was that an amen over there somewhere? I tell you the story, and by the way, they, they didn't make it. I tell you that story because I think it's important that we understand as we think about this idea that, that we're asking, how do I live this Christian life in the context of a marriage? I think it's important that we realize how many misconceptions there are about living this Christian life in the context of marriage. And so I start there, and I don't think I have to say to you or remind you that that we all are aware that that the divorce rate in the United States of America is, is severe, or that we have issues going on in marriages that are very concerning, like the fact that last year six million women experienced domestic violence in their home by the hand of their husband. These are severe issues. Severe, severe issues. And so, this is where we find ourselves today. Just misunderstandings of, of what marriage should be. I, I think where, we, where we've kind of ended up is, is simply here. Many, 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 many have given up on the idea that marriage can be great. Some of you are saying, I would settle for better, you know. But how many of you truly believe in your hearts that God's will for your marriage is not better, but great? I like that. Because I believe that that is God's will for all of our marriages. So Annette uh, and I went to a marriage conference last February. Uh, the, the, The guy who is primarily responsible is the guy named Jimmy Evans who has spent really all of his ministry and now he's probably near retirement trying to understand how do we live this Christian life in the context of marriage. That was, wouldn't be his words, but that's, that's in essence what I, what I saw in him. He's, he's got this conference that he does. He has this marriage ministry that he does. He has all these podcasts that they do. It's just very helpful stuff to Annette and to me. So I wrote a book called The Four Laws of Love, Four Laws of Love. I read the book recently, and the reason that I read the book was because my wife bought the book and gave it to me as a gift. <laughs> kind of wonder if there's some kind of underlying message happening there in that when you give you know, me a book like that. It reminds me of the time I played golf with a guy in the church, and, um, and the next week he sent me a gift certificate for a free golf lesson. <laughs> I think there was something being said there. So I read the book, and the book is really good. He says four laws of love are like any laws in life. If you break them, there are consequences. 
And so the first law that he talks about is the law of priority. And he takes these laws from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man will leave his mother, father, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so he says what happens is you leave as a young man the most important relationship to that point in your life so far, your relationship to your mother and your father. And now you make another relationship the most important relationship in your life, and that is your relationship with your spouse. So it's the law of priority. And if you break the law of priority, you've messed up. Now, when you first fall in love, you have no problem with the law of priority. All I want is you. All I want to do is be with you. All I want to do is hang out with you. All I want to do is spend time with you. I just want you. You're number one. You're, you're more important to me than anything else in the world. However, he said, as we begin to get married and move through life, sometimes there are misplaced priorities and there are competing priorities in our lives. And so for a husband, a competing priority may be something like a career. And the wife begins to say, you know what, all he does is work. And when he comes home, he still works. And when he comes home, he talks about work. And I feel like there's just very little of him left over for me because work, I think, is more important to him than anything else. It's more important to me. Sports can become a misplaced priority for husband. Not golf, but other sports can become a misplaced priority for husbands. Friends can become misplaced priorities. I remember one night, Annette and I, we had been married but a couple of years, we're watching TV together, and there's some kind of statement about, you're my best friend, and I turned to her and I said, you're my best friend, and she looked at me and she said, no, I'm not, Jeffrey's your best friend. She was serious. She was saying that I think when it comes to priority, if it's between me and Jeffrey, I think Jeffrey's going to win. And here I am, this, this young man who's just been married for a couple of years, and I haven't gotten all the priorities quite figured out. And I think for women, the competition sometimes becomes career. But you know what it often becomes? It often becomes children. And you want to bite back and say, wait, just a minute, I'm raising kids. I mean, that's my responsibility. That is your responsibility. And it's a noble responsibility. But if your children take priority over your husband, then your priorities are out of place. See, a wife and a mother who says, I live for my kids, that would really concern me. I think I would rather hear you say, I live for my husband. So I've gone to 75th wedding anniversaries. Wow. 75 years. Do you know how long that kid is going to live in your home? 18. There's a reason why God says there is priority in relationships. And so Jimmy Evans, I'll quote him again, he would say it looks like this. God is obviously the first relationship, the relationship with the highest priority in your life. And then it's your spouse, and then it's your children, and then it's your friends and family, and then it's your career and relationships at your work. And Annette would say there was a time in Rick's life when this right here got moved up to here. And others of you would say, yeah, there were times in your life when this right here got moved up to here. And there was a time in my life when I think I moved this right up to here. And I said, how can you argue with that? I'm a pastor. I'm doing God's work for heaven's sakes. God was saying, no, you're all messed up. You got the priorities out of order. It's God and then Annette and then Britton Morgan. And then family and friends and Jeffrey and everybody else. And then 
work in the relationships there. Law of priority, it's really, 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 really important. So Simon Peter takes us to this great instruction about roles and rethinking roles of husbands and wives in the context of living out this Christian life. At that marriage conference Annette and I went to, there was a guy who spoke whose name is Michael Todd. Anybody listen to him preach? You would like him if you did. He pastors a church in Tulsa called the Transformation Church. And Michael Todd is a, just a dynamic speaker. He said, I went to this conference. He was speaking to the conference. He said, I came to this conference as an attendee back about, I think it was eight years ago. As an attendee with my wife and a bunch of people from my church. We'd heard about it, so we all came down. Conference was awesome. The music was great. The speakers were great. The formatting was great. The food was great. Everything was great. I was just so impressed with the conference. I finally had to somehow get backstage to meet some of these pastors to talk to them about how great the conference was. And we're standing around in the parking lot on Saturday when it's over with all the people from my church. And we're just talking about how awesome this thing was. And finally, all the people from my church get in their cars and they're headed back to Tulsa. And my wife and I, we're going to get in our car in a few minutes and we're going to head back to Tulsa. And I'm going to preach in the morning because I'm pastoring this great church that's doing so well. And he says, when I say something to my wife, she says, you're not getting in this car. And he says, what are you saying? And she says, I can't stand I don't think you heard anything that was said this whole weekend. And she drove off, leaving me standing there in the parking lot by myself. He said, you know how humbling it was for me to take my phone out of my pocket and call the pastor that I had met who was on staff at that church and tell him I've got a problem. My whole focus that entire weekend was how well they were doing church and how well they were doing this conference and what if we did a conference like they were doing a conference and what could we do at our church like this and I wasn't at all focused on the content and the fact that my wife was dying. And my wife turned around and met me at that pastor's house And that night, I began to apply biblical principles of marriage to my life. And so here's what they look like. In Simon Peter's world, the woman was treated as inferior. She didn't even go to worship. Wasn't allowed. Wasn't permitted in the synagogue for the Jews or the Greeks or the Romans, for that matter. Christianity comes along and is revolutionary. Christianity is radical in the way they think about females. Guess who goes to church with their husbands? Guess who's welcome to go to church if their husbands don't even attend? And so Christianity begins to raise the level of the female in society. Begins to see them as equal in the eyes of God. And begins to give advice to men that is hard for men to swallow and believe it's radical. It's stuff they've never heard before. That you would be considerate of your wife and that you would respect your wife and that you would see her as an equal to you. It was just overwhelming. So what I want to do in these next couple of minutes is just end the discussion, okay? In other words, I'm going to drop the mic in a moment, walk off the stage. We're going to end this discussion about submission. It's going to be over in a few minutes, okay? Here we go. I remember meeting with another couple. He was attending our church. He met her. They fell in love. She started attending with him. They said, 
we're going to get married and attend this church. Will you do our wedding? We want you to do it since you're going to be our pastor. The first time I met with them, I'm seated in my office. And here's what she says to me. I have a very important question. In the wedding ceremony, are you going to ask me to say that I submit to him? And I said, no, that's not in our liturgy, the word submit. She said, good, because I'm not going to say it. I said, well, you still have to submit to him. She shot me a pretty strong look. I said, and he has to submit to you. And she raised her eyebrows at me with a grin. And I said, true story. And I showed her Ephesians 5, 21. In this great passage where Paul talks so clearly about wives and husbands' role, before he does that, here's what he says. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. Say it with me. Submit to one another. Is is that really in there or did you just put that on the screen? No, it's in there. And then what Paul does, now we're in Peter today, but what Paul does after he says this is he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. This is what it looks like. He spends a paragraph on it. And then he says, Husbands, this is what it looks like when you submit to your wife. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Listen to the next line. And gave his life up for her. So guys, you just, you just give your life up for your wife. It's mutual submission. Jimmy Evans, and I'll quit Jimmy Evans. He says it this way, okay? God's plan for marriage is two humble-hearted, servant-spirited people who are both submitted to God and each other, loving each other as equals. He said we never had to deal with the question once we accepted God's plan for marriage. We never had to deal with the question of who's the boss. We both knew Jesus was the boss. And this is the way we have lived since then. Now let's go back to Simon Peter and let's go to this language that he uses, okay? Uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. So let me give you the context of this, of this phrase here, okay? Of this sentence rather. Um, if, if in Simon Peter's day... The husband becomes a Christian and he starts going to church. What is he going to do? He's going to say to his wife and kids, let's go to church. They're all going to go to church together. However, if a wife becomes a Christian, which number one is a bold move in Simon Peter's day, is the husband going to church with her? So I grew up in a church in in a small Kentucky town and we had a lot of wives there that attended church without their husband. Wives and kids came. I don't remember one husband that came without his wife. 
And so Simon Peter says, and this was always important to him, it's been important throughout the whole letter, now what we're going to focus on is how do we win your husband to Jesus? Because there's nothing that matters more than winning him to Jesus. And so the wife says, okay, Simon Peter, how do I win him to Jesus? And Simon Peter says, what if he saw the difference in your heart now that you've been born again, now that Jesus is the Lord of your life, what if he was able to see the difference in your life and use his words like, what if he saw purity? What if he saw your heart? What if the best sermon you ever preached to your husband is a sermon where you use no words whatsoever? So let, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen anybody like across the room, somebody you didn't know, okay, you just, you see them for the first time, maybe across the room, and you think to yourself, these aren't bad, you're not having sexual thoughts, nothing, just person of the opposite sex, you might say that that person's attractive. Just, you happen to notice that there's an attractive person. Maybe, maybe it's same sex, you just, well, that got a good look. And then you get to know them. And once you get to know them, you decide they're not very attractive. You ever had that experience? Or, or maybe the opposite. You see somebody and you're not really struck by them, but once you get to know them, you're like, wow, I'm really attracted to that person. Not in a bad way, in, in, in a good way. That person has become attractive to me once I got to know them. It's kind of saying, you know, there's, there's a real difference on the inside of that person than there is on the outside of the person. And so that's where Simon Peter goes. He says, wives, let's, let's focus not, not just on your outward beauty, but let's talk about your inner beauty. He talks about a beauty that doesn't fade. Now, how many of you would say, um, Pastor Rick, I feel like that my beauty is beginning to fade. I think that uh, I'm in that place right now in my life where, yeah, got some honest souls in the house. I was with a friend from college, haven't seen him for years this week. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, we're a lot older than we were in college. And I said, look at that hand, how old it looks. And he held up his hand and he goes, man, we look old, you know. My friends Robert and Doris said to me not too many years ago that they hadn't seen somebody in about 25 years and they bumped into them one night. And as they were leaving them and getting in their car, Robert says to Doris, look how much they faded. And she said, yeah, and they're getting in their car saying, look how much Robert and Doris have faded, you know. And Paul says, what? Peter rather says, why don't we talk about this beauty that doesn't fade? Of a gentle spirit. And, and, and what if you just preach to your non-believing husband and you don't use any words? What if he just sees the difference God has made in you? That, that's the Christian witness for all of us. And since husbands just need a little instruction, we'll just deal with a little bit for husbands today. Husbands, be considerate. Treat your wife with respect as an equal heir. You, you and I cannot grasp. In all of our effort, we will never grasp how radical this was for Simon Peter to say this in his world to husbands. You are going to be considerate of your wife. You're going to treat her with respect. She is an equal heir with you in Christ Jesus. I mean, this was just unbelievable language. 
Do you know how important respect is? Just take the simple phrase, I'll do it. And think about tone. It's okay, Annette. I'll do it. It's okay, I'll do it. Big difference. And, and, and those of you who are watching online and those of you in the room, many husbands would say, I don't know how many times I've blown it with my tone. It's, it's the kind of respect that says, I can either tear you down or I can build you up. But right now, your growth, your self-worth, your personal development is my greatest goal. That's what I want for you. Husbands, be considerate. Treat your wives with respect. See them as equal heirs in Christ Jesus. So I'll wrap it up here. Annette and I went to the conference. We had talked about it over the years, but I hadn't talked about it as much as Annette had. And so we were moving into last February, and she says, I really want to go to that conference. And I said, oh, okay. And I was really okay. I just wasn't being aggressive. If she made the plans we would go, I probably wasn't going to make the plans. You know what I mean? And I wasn't going to give her a hard time. I, I was okay to go. And so she says, I, I called and it sold out. I guess it sells out the day after, um, you know, the conference every year. They, they sell the tickets and then one day they're all gone. So we can't go. And then a few days later, she finds out from a friend that sometimes people turn in tickets who can't go and those are available. And so we got some and we went. And it was good. I might move from good to great. I think it was great. And the thing that stands out to me most about the whole experience, the whole experience, are those moments more than once, more than twice, during that weekend when Annette would lean over to me and make me look into her eyes and say, thank you for doing this. I was ashamed because it meant so much to her. It was a great investment in the second most important relationship in my life. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.